Good morning, church family. Now we're going to enter into our time of uh, diving into God's Word. So let me once again uh, repeat what we read in John 15 here at the beginning, verses 4 and 5. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let us pray as we start to look into God's word here. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and providing your words. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill me and use me as your servant, that you would speak through me to um, everyone who is listening here this morning. I pray, Father, that you would wash us with your word and you would help us to be conformed into your image by it. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as a congregation, we've been going through the the book of John um, between Christmas and Easter, and we've been... uh, kind of seeing Jesus' life uh, up front, and then also uh, taking a look at how our story is connected um, and that our story is better than we think. And the premise of our, our time together has been when you join God's family by believing in Jesus, you become a part of his amazing, eternal story. Now, a lot of what we've been talking about is just how great and wonderful and marvelous that story is. And today's sermon is not going to be any different as far as that's concerned. But we also need to take a look at the fact that Jesus does indeed go to the cross. So that story is not all roses. There are some hard parts to this story of Jesus that we are connected to as his believers. And so we're going to take a look at that here shortly. So join me in just imagining the scene here in John chapter 15 as we're going through this. We have Jesus on his last night with his disciples. He knows that he is about to die. Imagine what you would feel like if you knew that this was your last day on earth and you had your loved ones all around you. What would you say? What would you try to convey if you knew this was going to be the last time you were going to get to speak with your loved ones? This is where Jesus is at. Now, he knows after he dies on the cross, he is going to rise from the dead. He is going to see his disciples a little bit more afterwards. But this truly is his last night as a man on earth with his disciples, the ones he loves the most. And he has some last words that he wants to share with them. And we're going to pick up on that and work through that together as a congregation, what those last words were. So we're going to focus on these. This is, this is deep. Focus on the fact that Jesus says, you are the branches and I want you to bear fruit. This is, this is deeply on his heart. He wants us to bear fruit. Number two, he wants us to remain in him. We'll talk about what that means. And you will be persecuted. Again, that's not exciting news. But at the same time, we'll take a look at how really that is exciting news because it does, it does show how we are a part of Jesus and this amazing story. So let's dive in. First off, we're going to talk about how we are the branches and that, God, and that Jesus really does want us to bear fruit fruit. Now, I'm going to pause just real quick and just say, behind me, we got a screen that's going to be showing the PowerPoint. Those words might be a little small. Don't worry about that. Don't try to make your screen bigger or anything like that. Just simply um, listen to the sermon. We're going to try to email that to you so you can, te- you can kind of look at that a little more in depth and meditate on the things that we're going to talk about today. But just focus on what God has to say. Don't worry about the technology part of things. So as we bear fruit, I want to, I want to start with this, a God-sized paradox. It is the branches that produce fruit, not the vine. 
Now you got, wait a second, but Jesus is divine. Like, like this, is, this is pretty significant. I mean, Jesus is God. You're absolutely right. And because of that, we know that God is in need of nothing. He doesn't need anything. He created everything. He created us. Does he need us? That would be strong language. But he has chosen before the foundation of the world to have a relationship with us in such a way that it's the branches that bear fruit, not the vine. Interesting. But we also have to look on the flip side. Without the vine, the branches would not be able to produce fruit. Okay? So we have to remember that. Yes, it's, it's the branches. We, as the body of believers in Jesus, that bear the fruit. But we can do nothing without Jesus. It's a God-sized paradox. It just, as I think about it, it just kind of blows my mind. Paul picks up on this in Romans 11, and I want to kind of, kind of give another twist to look at this. In Romans 11, he says, you who are branches from a wild olive tree. Now, context here. Paul is the, the missionary to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so he's dealing with this concept of Jewish believers, non-Jewish believers, and he's talking to us who are non-Jewish believers and saying, you are coming from a wild olive tree, an olive tree that is not connected to Jesus as the Messiah. And he's saying, and you have been grafted in, and you now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. So imagine you're being taken from this olive tree or this vine branch, And being grafted into Jesus, becoming a part of Jesus. And then because you're being grafted into Jesus, the nourishing sap of that. Now we talked about in John 7, how when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Holy Spirit flows through us as living water. He flows from our hearts. Same thing, as we're grafted in, and the Holy Spirit flows through us, that nourishing sap, we then bear fruit. Okay. But Paul goes on to say, but do not forget this point. You do not support the root. The root supports you. So we are a part of this amazing story as we're grafted into Jesus. But we must never forget that the story is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And we get to be a part of this story. And again, that's just amazing to think about. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine... What he's saying is, is that he is the source of our life and our nourishment, and that we must strongly attach ourselves to Jesus. And when we do, his nourishment will flow through us. Again, living waters will flow from our hearts. And then we, with that nourishment flowing through us, we will bear fruit in kind to the character of Jesus. So we live here in southwest Michigan. We got fruit farms all over the place. We know that an apple tree will not bear pears, okay? We know that a peach tree will not bear raspberries. An apple tree will bear apples. A peach tree will bear peaches. Okay? If we are grafted into Jesus and we are branches connected to him with his nourishing sap flowing through us, we will bear fruit in character and kind to Jesus. So the question is, because this is very much on Jesus' heart, bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So what does that look like? There's a whole slew of ways that bearing fruit, what that looks like. But we're going to deal with three things in particular as to what that looks like. First, what does bearing fruit look like? It looks like our own personal character, okay? So in Galatians 5.22, it mentions how the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Romans 8, it says that God's goal is that we conform into the image of Christ. So here, as we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, looking like Jesus is looking like love, looking like joy and peace and patience. As we look through that list, 
most of us, I mean, myself included, like, I am challenged. Do I really, when I, when someone cuts me off on the road and I'm squeezed, does patience flow out of me? Does joy flow out of me? I mean, that's the true test of what is inside us as fruit. When we're squeezed, what comes out of you? And as we submit ourselves to God, as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he develops this kind of fruit within, within us so that as we're engaging in a world that hates God, what they get is love your neighbor as yourself. Do good to those who persecute you. That's the kind of fruit that flows from character that looks like Jesus, and we bear fruit in kind. What does fruit look like? It looks like making disciples. This is one of the, the last things that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven. As you are going, make disciples. It's key on his heart. Just as Jesus came to earth and he invested into the 12 disciples and then said, all right, now I want you to go and also make disciples. He says that to each one of us. And as part of, of being a branch and bearing fruit is to make disciples. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it's a very beautiful picture as Paul is pouring into Timothy, who he classifies as his spiritual son. He says, Timothy, what I have invested into you, I want you to invest into trustworthy people who will also entrusted into others also. Do you see how that works? It's passing on from one generation to the next generation. Paul is saying, Timothy, I have spent time with you. And this is, I mean, really, this is what discipleship is, is life on life. Just taking what I have learned about Jesus and investing it into the next person. And if that person has questions that I don't know the answers to, to be willing to say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. But let's walk together to figure out that answer and learn something more about God, to be closer to Jesus through the journey. And Paul says, I've invested into you, Timothy. You're my spiritual son. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and invest into trustworthy people and make me a grandpa. And then I want you to then invest into, into others and make me a great grandpa. Okay? Do you see it? So that's the different type of bearing fruit. The last way that I would say is, is pretty key to bearing fruit as branches is evangelism. Now, this makes a lot of us uncomfortable, especially in an American culture when, when the focus is, is comfort and security. Stepping out of our comfort zones and doing evangelism is really difficult. Now, the word evangelism is just simply sharing the gospel with somebody else. Now, discipleship is more life-on-life, long-term. I'm going to invest into you over a period of time. Evangelism sometimes can just be a moment when God says, that person, I want you to speak to that person. I mean, if you look at Jesus' life, he randomly encounters the woman at the well. He randomly encounters Zacchaeus. He doesn't invest into them like he did the disciples, but he, made, he took advantage of the opportunity of God saying, I want you to invest into that person, and just simply saying, yes, Lord, I will do that. And going back to John 4, like, this may not necessarily be like bearing fruit like personally like within us, but this is like harvesting fruit. In John 4, Jesus said, wake up, look around. The fields are ripe unto harvest. And the fruit that they harvest is people being brought to eternal life. Again, bearing fruit within ourselves, investing into others, sharing the gospel. These are the things that Jesus really does care about and asks us with his last words, bear fruit. The second thing that was really important to Jesus was that we remain in him. And he says in the verse we just read, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, I want to come over here and just kind of do a, a, a physical example here of what it might mean to remain in Jesus. So as we look here, I've got a bucket of water here, and here I've got a, um, a hurricane glass that would go on an oil lamp. So there's no, there's no top, there's no bottom. It just flows all the way through. And so the question is, well, you know, if there's no top, there's no bottom, how do you fill a vessel like this? I mean, if I put this into the water and pull it out, it's empty again immediately. So how do, I, how do I fill this? Well, the way that I do it is I put it in the water, and then I leave it there. As long as the vessel remains in the water, it is filled. And Jesus is kind of saying the same thing. As branches that are, are grafted into me, I need you. If you want this nourishing sap to flow through you, to bear fruit, you need to remain in me. And unfortunately, as, as, as Christians, sometimes we get, we get comfortable. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. We're friends. I got this. So now let me just kind of go off and do my own thing for a second. Immediately, we have severed ourselves from the vine, and we will find in time that we start to not really bear fruit anymore. So the key is, is as branches, Jesus asks us, please, remain in me, because that's how you're really, truly going to bear fruit throughout the course of your lifetime and make an impact for the kingdom of God. So to kind of talk about that a little bit more, as we remain in Jesus, as a person who likes to ask a lot of questions, I first was like, okay, so remaining in Jesus, that's nice, but how does one even get into Jesus? So let's talk about that for just a second. How do we get into Jesus? How do we become grafted into the vine? And if we think about that, it's the salvation story. It's faith. It's admitting to God, yes, we are sinners. That when he says that this is wrong, that we're in agreement, yes, that is wrong, and I did it. I broke the rule. I hurt God. And that there's a consequence for that. And then believing that Jesus is God's son, that he is, as we're looking here at John 15, he came to earth to die on a cross to accomplish a mission. And I believe that he did that and rose from the dead, according to the scripture. And then I commit myself to God and say, you are my Lord and I will follow you, okay? So how do we get into Jesus? That process of salvation takes humility. It takes submission. Again, humility. And that's not, I mean, humility, submission. These are two words for our culture that we don't necessarily like to deal with. But we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, I have done wrong and I submit myself to you knowing that Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, the life, and that no one gets to you except through Jesus. And I want to submit myself under his blood and ask that you forgive me of my sins. And then obedience. Now, obedience, a lot of people, when they see that word, they think, oh yeah, obedience is like doing good works and I'm going to earn my way to heaven. Look, you cannot earn your way to heaven. And so when I'm talking about obedience, it has nothing to do with trying to be a better person. It's about Jesus being Lord of your life. And when he says, all right, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not doing that because I'm going to try to get my way into heaven. It's because I've already been forgiven. And now he, as my Lord, I'm saying, yes, I will do what you've asked me to do. When he says, I want you to be baptized, okay, I'm going to do that because he's asked it of me. Now, I want you to think about it in a different way. If I believed that it was wrong to have sex before marriage, and then I went and had sex before marriage, am I really living out the faith that I say I believe? 
Obedience is a part of faith, not to earn your way to heaven, but as a way of saying, yes, I submit to my faith in Jesus. I believe this is true, and I will walk in that path. So then the question is, if that's, if that's true, humility, submission, obedience, again, there might be more key elements, but if those at least minimally are what it means to, be, to get into Jesus, then how do we remain in Jesus? The exact same ways. We stay humble before our God. We stay submissive. And when he says, I need you to talk to this person, I need you to share the gospel, yes, Lord. Because if we're not obeying him, is he really Lord of our life? So again, humility, submission, obedience. The key is to stay on your knees. Remain humble before your God. Okay? This is not about trying harder. I want to make sure that that is clear. This, this whole like obedience and, and humility, submission, it's not about trying harder. It is literally about just allowing God to do work in your heart. In John 15, verses 9 through 13, this is what it reads. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that, you're, so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And how did he love us? There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ultimate way to show love. Okay? I mean, even in this uh, scenario where we have coronavirus going through our nation right now, one way to love someone is not necessarily to be separated from them. I mean, yes, be careful. But you know what? Just like Dell talked about when there was sickness in Rome and people fled, we need to be the people who love. Yes, it may cost us something, but it's what Jesus would do. He would love. He would reach out. Take precautions, absolutely. But don't forget to love. Don't forget to bear fruit. As a side note, pruning is required in order to be most productive. It says in, in 15 that, that God will prune. Now let's ask a question, because pruning doesn't sound like a very comfortable thing. When you think about a plant, you take a pair of scissors, you cut something off. That's got to hurt. Okay? In the same way, God's going to be pruning us. So let's talk a little bit why. Why does God prune? Okay? Again, for those of you who are, who are looking at a, at a small screen, don't focus on the fact that you can't see it. Just listen to what I'm going to share with you. Okay? So why pruning? Because it, if you think about a plant, and then imagine what that means for us, a plant, it's to remove the dead wood. It's to remove anything that might be infected, okay? It might be to reshape something or to redirect growth. I mean, that can definitely be a part of our Christian walk. Improving or sustaining the health of a plant. Reducing self-harm. Or even preparing a plant for transplantation, okay? If that's a word. I made that up, okay? Preparing for transplanting. Those are reasons why people prune plants, and it's true what God does for us as well, okay? So what's the end result of pruning? You can increase the yield of fruit or the amount of fruit that a plant produces by pruning. Strangely enough, remove some of the stuff, it does more, okay? You can increase the quality of the fruit as well. If you don't prune an apple tree, the fruit will be smaller. Prune an apple tree, the fruit will be bigger. It's a higher quality, okay? You can also increase the health or the durability of a plant. And we're going to talk about persecution. So pruning can help us for those times, okay? On God's end, here are some examples of ways that he can be pruning. 
Not an exhaustive list. There's probably more that God does. Probably definitely more things that God does. But listen to this. Personally, relationships, change priorities, change our character. Those are all ways of pruning. Personally, I come from a military family. I have moved all around. The amount of people that I've said hello to and goodbye to would probably rock your world. But God has used that to show me different relationships and have different people invest into my life to to develop my character to become more like him. I've even had an instance where I grew really close to someone and I allowed that person to probably be a a little more of an idol than I should have. If I'm going to be honest, they were an idol in comparison to God. And I basically told God, it's like, if if, if this isn't of you, then you're going to have to remove the person from my life. And he did. He removed the person from my life. It hurt like the dickens. But it was necessary for my walk with God. Okay? He will also cause you to step outside your comfort zones. You know, in my life, when I was in ninth grade, you know, I did a lot um, in, my, in my junior high years to invest into God's word, to get to know him as much as I could, because like, he, just, he really captivated my heart and my soul to really get to know him, to become more like him. But one day, when I was in ninth grade, he said, Ryan, you're doing a really good job at being a, a good, solid Christian. What good is that doing anybody else? And he really challenged this shy, introverted person to be able to step outside my comfort zone. When I first shared the gospel with someone, just by passing out tracts, I mean, not even like verbally like, here's the gospel, just passing out tracts on a college campus, I was, I was sure someone was going to knife me. I was going to get shot. Someone was going to kill me. I was going to die that day. I'm still here. And he grew me through those experiences of stepping outside my comfort zone to where now I have the ability to, to speak in front of people and not, again, not, not to be boastful, but just like, like it's fun because I'm walking with the Holy Spirit and I'm realizing like I'm not going to die if I obey him. And it, but it was a long journey, ninth grade to now. We're talking a 20-year span that he has cultivated and pruned me. Removing addictions, removing idols. Talked about that a little bit. Confession, vulnerability, accountability. If you're not part of a relationship where you can be asked the hard questions about sin in your life or growing to become more like Jesus, you need to become a part of, of, of a group or a relationship where we do that. Especially as men, that is very difficult to be vulnerable. But if we can allow ourselves to let our guard down, we will grow. We will become more like Jesus. If we can tell someone the darkest part of our soul and realize they're still going to love me, they're going to help me through this, they're going to walk with me, Almost nothing is impossible for that relationship. And you can bear fruit through that. Prayer, obeying the word of God, submitting to God. Again, this is not about trying harder. This is not a list that you need to go through and I need to check off the boxes. We just need to submit to God and say, what do you want to prune? What do you want to get rid of? What do you need to do in me that I need to just say, yes, Lord, and allow him to do his work? Not about trying harder. I want to make sure that that comes through loud and clear. The last thing that Jesus really emphasized, again, was the world will hate you. But I need you to realize that all the good stories, as we are joining in to God's, to Jesus' story, all the good stories have opposition to overcome. If there wasn't a story arc, if it was just a flat line story, it wouldn't be that interesting. And sometimes as Christians, that's what we try to do. All right, I walked through heaven. I said the prayer. I'm, you know, I'm going to read my Bible now and just sit and just be comfortable. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I saved you for. I need you to bear fruit. Okay? I need you to step outside your comfort zone. There's going to be some opposition. Yes, but I will be with you. Every good story has opposition to overcome. 
Let me read from John 15 again. We're going to read verses 20 through 23. Again, this is John 15, 20 through 23. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me hates my father. Again, persecution is part of the story. Because the world hates Jesus, persecution is unavoidable. And my warning to you is do not become irrelevant to the story by trying to escape persecution. Jesus warns in, in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Again, if we're more concerned about our comfort, if we're more concerned about what people think about us, instead of the mission that God has given us to do, we will try to avoid persecution. And persecution doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to die. Persecution can be something as simple as someone just rejecting your message. None of us like rejection. But if we, can, if we can separate ourselves and realize they're rejecting Jesus and therefore the Father, then it's not really about rejecting us. But we need to embrace the fact that persecution will occur as we are branches that bear fruit. Okay? Just make sure as believers, as Christians, that we count the cost. That we walk in almost like, like a soldier that would go into war knows that there's a chance that he might die. We need to also have that same mindset that, you know, if God is asking us to do something, there's no greater thing that we can do than to, than to obey what he's asked us to do. He has given us a great story and a great mission to accomplish. There might be a cost, but, at the, but on the other side, there also might be great gain in the fruit that is born and the kingdom being advanced and God being given the glory. Okay? To give you an example of just an idea of persecution, I wanted to read to you Luke 22. This is Peter's story, and I want you to see what, I mean, Peter is one of the people who is receiving this message, these last words from Jesus, and I want you to see what he does immediately after he receives these words from Jesus that persecution will be a part of the equation. And then I'm going to advance to two decades, sort of, two decades when he re writes First Peter to uh, the, the church that he's writing to this letter to. I want you to see what he does when Jesus tells them about persecution and what he, what he says about it two decades later. So this is in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. And it says here, So they arrested him, Jesus, and led Jesus to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, This man is one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. That was Peter's interaction with persecution. The first, right after Jesus tells him these words, you will be persecuted. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, I know. And it'll be okay. But Peter, he just, he's overcome with shame and he weeps. Compare that to a couple of decades later as Peter has had the opportunity to be persecuted again and again and he's sharing the gospel and it's, and it's now out to multiple um, churches throughout the area. And he writes to them in 1 Peter in chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings, so that you will have wonderful joy and seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So see, even in persecution, I know it sounds like a bad thing. I know it sounds like that's nothing I want to be a part of. But in reality, Peter learns over the decades that persecution is where it's at. Because you are bearing the name of Christ. You are bearing fruit. And, and, and Jesus will look at you and say, well done. I am proud of you. You took up your cross. You followed me. You have borne fruit. You have run the race. And I couldn't be prouder of you. So there is joy, gladness benefit to the persecution that we face. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. So again, Jesus's last words from John 15. You are my branches. Bear fruit. It's what he desires. For us to be a part, to join the story, bearing fruit. Remain in me. It's the only way. The only way that we can live our lives. Okay? It's the only way we can bear fruit. It's the only way that we can make it through the day without, without turning our backs on him. We have to remain in him, and you will be persecuted. People do not like this message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we, as his ambassadors, as his message bearers, won't like that either. But remember, there is benefit to the persecution, personally, as well as God smiling on us. And it does share the message. You don't know that person who's persecuting you today if they won't later accept the gospel. I've had stories of that as well. It's amazing what God will do if we will just step outside our comfort zone. So your homework, you know, spend time this morning, spend time this week. This is what I want you to meditate on. I want you to, to think through these four things. Number one, if you're not even a part of the story, prayerfully consider, count the cost, but prayerfully consider joining the story. If you want to know more about what that means, please feel free to call the church. We have pastors here who would love to talk with you and share that gospel message and walk through that journey with you to know what it means to become a part of Jesus. Do you need to reconnect with Jesus? Do you need to remain in him? Spend time with Jesus and ask, Jesus, how do I need to reconnect with you? How do I specifically need to reconnect with you? Chances are, as you're thinking through this already, God's laying something on your heart. Spend time with him. Meditate on it. And remain in him. 
Do you need to be pruned? Is there something in your life that God's like, you know what he's talking about. This needs to be removed. I need to redirect you in that direction. Spend time with him this week and ask, what is it that that I need pruned from my life? And to say yes, Lord, to that thing. And then, do you need to become more bold in your faith? Do you need to prepare for persecution? Again, I knew in, in ninth grade, that's what I needed. I was super scared. But I had to step outside that comfort zone. I had to trust God with my life, with my faith journey, as it took me in a different direction of bearing fruit. Spend time with him. Ask him, what do I need to do? What do you want me to do? And it's a journey. Again, 20 years. It's a journey. Don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn around overnight. But spend time with God every day, each week, remaining in him, bearing fruit, embracing persecution. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I, I thank you that even when you knew that you were about to die on the cross and your mind must have been just flooded with what you were about to endure, you still spent time to invest into your disciples, to invest into your people, that you loved them so much, even then, that you're like, look, this is what it's about. Holy Spirit, please captivate our hearts, captivate our minds, that we can join you in this story, that we can walk through this journey with you to bear fruit, remain in you, and to embrace persecution. Knowing that we are not alone. We are never alone. Even when Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus still, in the midst of being on trial, turned and looked at Jesus and he says, I know. I know. But I'm here. Even at a distance, I'm here. And we know that you see us. We know that you love us. We know that you're with us. And I pray, Father, that you would help to make that a reality within our hearts. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you again for joining us this morning. I pray that the the worship and, and the reading of God's word and the message was all a blessing to you. And I pray that you would join us next week as we live stream again from here from Berrien Center Bible Church. Blessings.